4: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Organised crime, pornography, violent imagery and unrelenting messages that tell you you're not good enough. No, uh, this is not a glimpse inside the mind of Liam Neeson. It is what your child is subjected to every single time they switch on their computer, their smartphone or any electronic device you let them have. Finally, after 15 or more attempts, the government appears to be willing to properly clamp down on social media firms like Instagram and Snapchat uh, which up to now have totally failed to regulate themselves. Digital Minister Margot James is announcing a crackdown today following the suicide of 14 year old Molly Russell, who took her own life after looking at self-harm posts on Instagram. Poor little Molly of course is not the only victim here. There are many victims, some of whom uh, commit suicide, some of whom do not. The head of Instagram has been summoned to appear before a parliamentary committee. He, he's also been summoned to appear in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. So far, he has not responded. These guys think they are above the law. We've got some news for you guys. You are not. Whichever way you look at it, we need to protect our children better, I think you will find. 0344 499 1000. Uh, Kirsty Allsop says, uh, you wouldn't allow your child to wander into a sex shop and say, buy whatever you like. But that's the equivalent of what you're doing if you're letting them go on the internet unpoliced. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, we'll be finding out why people are saying that Liam Neeson has ended his own career after giving a very bizarre interview about revenge and how he wanted to kill a black person. He has expressed uh, his own disgust at what he felt. He has expressed his own kind of a curious revenge factor as well Uh, we'll be discussing that and finding out why everybody is jumping all over him there's loads going on today but as ever we want to hear from you 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me mike graham right here on talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Now, there are times uh, when you despair about the way the world is being run and about the way the world is going. There are times when you wonder what sort of an idiot would allow a company to put up a website in which young people could learn how to harm themselves, in which young people could learn uh, how to starve themselves, about which young people could learn how to try and look better uh, by just not eating or by doing themselves some kind of injury, or taking some kind of drug, or making sure that they were uh, indeed sort of um, insulated from the outside world uh, by becoming completely and utterly insular and not leaving their room because they were too busy playing some kind of game. Now, parents have got a great deal to do with what their children do on the internet, and I accept that totally, but there surely has to be a line drawn at which point you say that should not be on the internet and that should certainly not be accessible uh, by children uh, who should not be seeing the kinds of things uh, that they can now see on a regular basis on places like Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter uh, and indeed on Snapchat and various other places to go as well. We're going to talk now uh, to Nick Stace, the CEO of The Prince's Trust, because coming up later on today, Margot James, the Digital Minister of the Government of this country, is going to announce some new regulations are going to be brought brought in to ensure that these social media companies who have been so bad at policing themselves are now going to be policed we don't know precisely what the government is going to do uh, they're not yet willing to tell us that but hopefully there's going to be a bit more than just saying to people well we've already banned under 18s from watching pornography well that's not going to work is it let's talk to nick and find out what he makes of it all. nick a very good morning to you Morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Now, I mean, I'm sort of hopeful, and, and you may tell me that my hope is going to be misplaced, but I'm sort of hopeful that Margot James is going to do something practical here and not just make a lot of noise and create a lot of smoke, and then nothing really happens.
2: Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're in the dark as much as you are, so so let, let, let's perhaps catch up later on this afternoon when we yeah. you know a bit more. But, look, I mean, I think that what we're dealing with is a pace of change in communications unlike anything that we have seen in human history. Yeah. Um, you take, uh, you know, when the car came along quite a few years ago, you know, 100 years ago or so, I mean, you know, people were so worried about, you know, about the car that they had a man walking in front of the car with a flag. Right. Uh, and so the pace of change, uh, even on something as significant as the car, was pretty slow. With the internet and with social media, it, it's come at us at 1,000 miles an hour and mm. it's increasing its speed. And quite honestly, we're all a loss really is to precisely what we should do and in fact you know there's a challenge for all of us to do more
4: no indeed when the interview uh, when the in- internet i should say was set up it was meant to be a kind of place of uh... Um, I suppose, um, celestial uh, you know, heaven, wasn't it? It was meant to be yeah. a place where you could go and get information about almost anything. And it was very much kind of set up by those who believed in freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression and all of that. So there was an overarching kind of principle that, that pretty much anything goes and everything mm-hmm. should be available. And it's been clear that that's not really the way forward, isn't it? Well, I think that's right. I mean, what's interesting
2: is, I mean, in the Prince's Trust survey that's out today, uh, is two things that are interesting. I mean, one, on the one hand, uh, social media is making young people unhappy. I mean, it's making them unhappy because there's a tremendous pressure to look at what others are doing. Other people's lives seem to be so much more successful than their own. You know, they feel inadequate, that fear of missing out, all of those challenges. But then on the other side, uh, quite a number of people, 23%, I think, said that um, they actually felt that it was a great voice for them, that they were actually able to give voice to their views. Um, they could actually, you know, have a platform. Um, so it's not all negative. And the great challenge with anything that's new is, look, quite frankly, it's here, it's mm. here to stay. It's a bit like trying to uninvent the wheel. That's not going to happen. So so we therefore have to deal with it and work out, you know, what's the best way to help support our children.
4: Yeah, no, I don't want to uninvent the wheel, but what I want to do is take away the spikes from the kind of the hubcap so that when you're going past people, you don't have to scrape the hell out of them, you know what I mean? And you can use the wheel for going forward as opposed to doing people injuries. Because Kirsty Allsop makes some interesting points this morning uh, in one of the papers. She talks about how she's banned her kids so far from being on Instagram. Instagram Mm. apparently recognises that uh, it's not for people under the age of 13. How they police that, it's not very clear. But she basically says says um you know you wouldn't take them to a sex shop and introduce them to the availability of sort of pornographic images you wouldn't take them into what used to be wh smiths and, and and take all the adult magazines off the top shelf and give them to your 10 year old child but if you're giving them access to the internet effectively you are giving them that
2: well, I think she makes a very good point. And what's interesting is when you speak to, uh, you know, the, the tech sector, and, and I mean, Steve Jobs is well known for this, wasn't it? it wasn't, he didn't allow his children to have iPhones. Right. I spent some time a, a while ago at EA Games in, in, in San Francisco. Um, you know, the head of EA Games doesn't allow his children access to online gaming. So what's sort of interesting is that those people who are in the know uh, and who actually have created some of the sort of challenges that we're all facing are not overly keen for their own children to be subjected to it. So. No.
5: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
2: So there is something in this, which is that we need to help our children. I mean, I've got three children. I try and limit their exposure to social media, but, but I don't ban it. Right. I mean, I think there is, a, there is a part which is around it is the world around us. They have to know how to sort of deal with it, but we, but we need to help them.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I have the same struggle because I've got a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, both of whom uh, are on social media and on they're, on they're on Instagram. They've got Instagram accounts because they used to do a bit of skating and they used to film themselves skating in these little skate parks, put it up for their friends to see. We made sure that the the, the, the accounts were closed so nobody could follow them without asking and so that we, we told them that they couldn't be followed by anybody they didn't know. And, you know, yeah. you, we tried our best. But like you, you don't want to make it impossible for them to be available online you don't want to make them completely sort of um outlawed if you like from from the world in which their friends inhabit and and now for example Fortnite is the latest thing the Fortnite Mm. game that they play they play with their friends you know again you try and limit the amount of time they do it but you don't want to ban them from doing it
2: no i think that's right i mean you know we we all live in the world, the world around us is, is, is there for all of us to consume. You know, we just need to work out how to consume it and how to do it in a way that doesn't harm us. And one of the, one of the again, great positives that came through the Prince's Trust survey is that actually what makes young people happy is spending time with their family and their friends. Uh, what makes them unhappy is spending the amount of time they do on social media. But, yeah. but social media is addictive. Uh, I think you, you probably you're the same, Mike. I mean, I find it very difficult not to look at my phone. Um, and uh, well, I'm I'm on, on Twitter way stuff.
4: more than I should be, but then yeah. I say that it's partly to do with my work, so that's how well, I justify that's it. That's your excuse,
2: Mike, and I make the same <laughs> excuse. But we all have excuses around yeah. it. Look Young people make the excuse, and it's reasonable that they sure. want to be sociable with their friends. So it's it's you know it, it, it's a real issue that I know this this focus of the Prince's Trust uh, survey and also Margot James's intervention today is about young people. But actually, this is an issue that affects everyone in society. Oh, there's no
4: question about that. I mean, nowadays, when you go onto a tube or a train or a bus or anything like that, everyone is staring at their phone. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, there used to yeah. be a time when you'd see the odd person reading a book. You'd see a couple of people reading a newspaper. Those days are now gone. In fact, I see more people actually watching television on their phones on yeah. the tube when I come to work in the mornings than I can and I can believe. Yeah, and I know.
2: And, and actually... There is something about, I mean, I try not to do that now. So I stand at the station every morning and I try, I just look at people looking at their phones. It's quite a fascinating yeah. thing to do, actually. Right. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, you know, beholden on all of us to try and set a bit of an example, actually. It's lovely just to observe. It's great to look up at the sky. It, 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 it can release you from the world you know, from the stresses and strains of the day. Mm. Actually, what can compound it is to look at your phone and see, you know, the latest email that's come through or the latest, you know, tweet that's actually been pretty offensive and pretty nasty towards you or to people that you like. And, And that stuff just turns us all into something that we don't want to be.
4: No, quite. Well, it's like everything else in life, isn't it? I mean, if you came out of one pub and just went into another pub and then went into another pub, yeah. went into another pub, that would be regarded as dangerous behaviour. Similarly, you know, if you came out of a cinema and just went into the next one and watched another film, you know, you don't want to just continually do the same thing over and over again. No. You know, we live in a world which is which is supposed to be full of different challenges and different images and all of that. I mean, Kirsty also again, talks about that whole idea of conforming and says, you know, you know to, to, to answer those who say, if you deny your children access to smartphones it could alienate them from their peers she says we can't teach our kids that the only way to avoid being bullied is to conform to every trend and again I mean she's taking a very brave stance for a parent I'm not sure I would do that Um, i take my hat off to her but what do you make of, of that point?
2: Well, I think it's great, actually, isn't it, to have that complete alternative view. I mean, I agree with you, actually. I, I don't do that with my own children. Mm. I don't sort of recommend, you know, something that everyone should do. But I, I think there's a bit of balance in life. Isn't that? Isn't that what they always say about everything? Yeah. Really, you know, ice cream is lovely, but to have that for every meal of the day would be pretty awful. Right. Um, and, and I think that's true of social media. I think it's true of, you know, almost everything we do. A bit of it works really well. Understanding how addictive it is is very important. Mm. I think the role of social media companies to actually put up pop-up alerts on our phones to say, actually, did you know you spent three hours today on Instagram? And actually over the last month, that means that you've wasted, perhaps they wouldn't put it in those terms, Mm. but wasted three days of your life. I mean, I think a bit more kind of, as you would do with food labelling, as you would do with any other consumer behaviour, actually some challenges to our current thinking and our behaviour is it has got to be encouraged. And maybe that's what Margot James is going to announce later. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, apparently
4: they're being very tight-lipped about precisely which types of, uh, of regulations are going to be brought in. They may not even tell us today what those are going to be because there's going to be a white paper, I think, drawn up, which might have more detail in it. But, I mean, yeah. one of the things that annoys me about these social media companies is their total lack of responsibility for anything that happens on their media. I mean, for example, on Twitter. I mean, you might know whether uh, you do or not. My, my sort of appearances on Twitter are are reasonably busy and reasonably fun-filled quite often um, yep. I will get pe- people will get suspended for calling me a, a, a bad name like if they use the C word they get immediately suspended if they threaten yep. to kill me they don't get suspended you know, yeah. stuff like yeah. that doesn't make any sense to me. Similarly, at the weekend, my son, my oldest son, was scammed by somebody on Instagram who somehow managed to get him to give them some money. Luckily, not in the form of a bank account transfer, but they made him buy a... Uh, well, when I say they made him, they convinced him to buy a uh, an Xbox gift card, right, yeah. for which, in return, they would send him some access to some ludicrous game or other, right? Now, he's been completely and utterly dragged over the coals for being such an idiot, but Instagram will not take any responsibility for the scammer who is on their is on their um, uh, network? Um, and when you rep- when you report that scammer, all they do is they block you from seeing them.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it does seem amazing. Well, I think there's a role. I mean, so so there's a role to limit uh, some of the excesses mm. of the social media companies. Of course, there is. There's also actually a role to liberate them to do some good. So um, you know, there's there's no question that actually if uh, if there were more positive images out there of young people, if there were more positive, relatable role models out there, um, you know, less, negative, uh, less, less neg- neg- negativity. It could make a massive difference to young people's lives. So, mm. so I think it's about... Like, I, I think there's carrot and stick involved in, in almost every kind of form of regulation and, and change that you want to bring about. We should really be trying to reward great behaviour amongst social media companies. Uh, as well as trying to limit the excesses
4: yeah because this whole point that we've all suddenly discovered in the last say i don't know 12 to 18 months that we are in fact the product of facebook of twitter of instagram and all of that you know it does not allow those people who use us and use our data as a kind of a, uh, a rich mine from which to gather information it doesn't mean that they have no responsibility for what they do and how they do it surely I agree, I agree. But, you know, the other, the other challenge
2: here, I mean, I sort of agree with everything you're saying, really, which isn't a very helpful it's debate. It's very unusual, that. You
4: may wish that, to go and get yourself uh, medically examined later. I think I need a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> um, so,
2: but I think it's more than social media. So, I mean, this is perhaps a, an area that you, you, you may go into a bit later, but the, everything is changing at a mm. pace that we've not seen in human history. So the world of work, look, by 2030, 80% of the jobs that are available then are different to the ones available mm. today. That creates great anxiety amongst young people. You know, let's face it, the political and economic turmoil at the moment, you know, from a cabinet minister to the cab driver, no one's got a clue what's going to happen today, Mm. let alone tomorrow. All of these things are and social media are creating a moment in time which feels more uncertain, more uneasy, more concerning than probably at any other time that we've known about
4: yeah, it really is quite bizarre. And yet, at the Prince's Trust, you still sound pretty optimistic, Nick, as far as you know the the faith that you have in young people and the resilience of young
2: yeah, people. Yeah, I think young people... look. I mean, young people are often referred to as the snowflake generation. Yeah. It couldn't be further from the truth. And I, I, I honestly, anyone who ever says that, I challenge them to live in the shoes of some of the young people that we support every day. Mm. Uh, I mean, they are people who go through some of the most challenging lives that you could possibly imagine but are still standing and still have hope and and look we as a an organization want to do everything we possibly can to give them the confidence and skills to lead successful lives and that's what we're about
4: and as far as the princes trust um and what they do outside of, of of uh of talking to people like me on the radio i mean what can people do if they want to sign up and join in yeah. and do, and be a part of it what do they do
2: yeah so we help 60,000 young people every year we want to help twice that number over the next few years uh, we give them, we help them with their confidence and their life skills, uh, we have a series of programs so please come to the Prince's Trust website and you'll, you'll see uh, those programs. They are amazing, I mean everything from going on residentials, meeting other young people, um, but through to getting young people work and meaningful work so we do a lot of programs with employers and we have a very high success rate in getting people jobs. So. I think it's the most phenomenal organisation, you know, set up by His Royal Highness in 1976 with the purpose to give every young person the chance to succeed, and we're trying to do that day in, day out.
4: So the future is bright as far as the Prince's Trust is concerned?
2: Well, the future's bright, Uh, yes, but we want to do much more of what we're doing, so it's brighter for more.
4: All right, Nick, thanks very much indeed. Nick Stace there, CEO of The Prince's Trust. A much more uh, optimistic organisation and a much more optimistic outlook really, uh, than an awful lot of other people have in this country, particularly when it comes to social media. Online addiction, uh, we hear about uh, all sorts of horror stories of young uh, teenage girls and boys who become addicted to self-harm, who become addicted to, uh, to having a food disorder, who have places where they can go on the internet and find out how to do it how to harm yourself uh, and still survive how to do it so that nobody finds out that you're doing it how to have um, a problem with uh, bulimia how to have a problem with anorexia how to basically do anything that you want to do which would be considered to be uh, very much outside of the norms of society there surely can't be any justification for instagram for facebook for any of these social media companies to allow this stuff to go out on their platforms and yet They don't seem in any way concerned. Uh, I wrote a tweet this morning uh, to a guy called Adam Mosseri, who's the head of Instagram. Uh, I said, hi, Adam, I'm doing a show at Talk Radio about the proposed regulation of social media. I would be delighted if you'd be able to come on and give your perspective. I'd also like to ask what your policy is on fraud and scams carried out on Instagram by users uh, that you allow to have accounts on. Now, that is a very straightforward question. I'm not expecting to hear from Adam Mosseri because I sent a similar message to Instagram a few days ago. Uh, They haven't bothered responding to that either. The Independent Republic
6: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Let's now talk though, to Chloe White, who is the Policy and Public Affairs Manager at Carers UK. Chloe, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I think carers in this country are kind of below the surface, if you like, of of people's everyday lives. But there's an awful lot of them um, out there. Do we know precisely how many people are sort of officially registered as carers in this country?
7: Well, you're right to say it's often kind of below the radar. It's something mm. that happens um, behind closed doors very often, but it's really something which many, many of us are doing. So the, the last time we had a, a census question on this was 2011, and that suggested there's about 6.5 million people wow. providing unpaid care. Yeah. But recent surveys, including our latest research, suggest that number could be a lot higher and really creeping up to the sort of seven million, eight million, and more mark. And um, our research which was particularly about people who are combining um, their paid job with looking after a loved one, shows that the numbers of people doing that are rising even more quickly. So one in seven of the workforce are now combining their paid job with looking after someone.
4: Right, and that's a sort of double strain, if you like, I suppose, isn't it?
7: Yes, it's very stressful to be kind of managing those two things, and you might very often be doing it at a distance. So if you don't live with the person you're looking after, you're sort of harrying up the motorway at the weekend or constantly on the phone and that's very stressful to be pulled in those two directions
4: sure and when you say unpaid carers does that mean unpaid in the sense that they're not doing it as a sort of as a job as as it were you know caring for somebody because it's their job to do so uh are they are they paid in any other way i mean can they claim a sort of carer's allowance or anything like that
7: Yeah, so we're talking about sort of family and friends who are looking after loved ones um, unpaid and um, people who care um, 35 hours a week are able to claim the carer's allowance benefit, which is just under £65 a week. Mm. So it's very low. And there are restrictions of how much you can um, kind of earn in a job at the same time as getting that.
4: Right. So if you are if you are in a job and you are, say, caring for an elderly parent or something like that, you're unlikely to probably even qualify for a carer's allowance, are you?
7: Exactly. So it's just um, sort of over a hundred pounds a week you're able to earn alongside
4: right. caring. And so, is it a case of sort of um, sandwich, a lot of sandwich generation situations here, where you know people sort of who are my age, I suppose, in their fifties, are, are are looking after parents who might be older, uh, while still having uh, younger kids to bring up as well.
7: Exactly. Yeah. So we particularly um, working carers, they often tend to be in their kind of forties and fifties, and as we are kind of having children later and happily our parents are often living longer we're seeing a lot more people in that as you say the sandwich generation where you might be sort of being pulled in in many directions yeah. between younger children older parents and keeping up at work
4: right and and your organization carers uk is calling for employment rights to sort of formally recognize the needs of carers how would that how would that work exactly
7: So we're um, encouraging employers to really recognise this as a a really important issue and to think about the the culture and policies they have towards people combining work and care. Um, But we specifically think that government should bring in a right to five to ten days paid time off work to care.
6: Mm.
7: Uh, And I think I would also like to point out that the support at work is, is kind of one side of the coin, but the other side is being able to access good quality social care services for the person you support so you've got that backup of good quality social
4: care Mm. so if you were able to get say up to 10 days paid leave uh, to be a carer that's not really going to help you much is it if you're if you're sort of full-time caring for somebody
7: I think it can help people. So we can, we can see that lots of people are using up all their annual leave right. to provide care, getting really exhausted. So we think it's important that people are able to, to take that time to arrange appointments, to accompany the people they care for to appointments, to put provisions in place. It's not going to be in, enough time off for everybody, but we think it would be um, a good source of support for people. And as part of the research, we asked people ask kind of workers in the UK if they were juggling work and care what would they want mm. and the top response was they'd like a, a supportive employer or line manager right a- Secondly, they'd like a bit of flexibility, and thirdly, they'd like that option to be able to take some short-term paid time off work. Yeah,
4: I mean, presumably there are some people in 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 these situations who who, because of, say, for example, some acute problem that that that, that pops up with one of their elderly parents, they might need to take a chunk of time off, uh, or indeed just give up the job altogether in order to care full time for them.
7: Yes, so there are there is some emergency leave in place but lots of the support that people get from their employers is really down to the discretion of their employer so that's that kind of supportive culture is really important mm. and we do need to put in support for people who want to return to work having left to be able to do so because it's very difficult um, if you've left work in your 40s or 50s perhaps your caring roles come to an end but then you're looking to get back to work and as we're all increasingly being expected to work later into life you can be left with a real yeah. kind of gap in your in your pensions and your long term financial security if you're not able mm. to get back in.
4: No, absolutely. And for a lot of people as well. What is the alternative, for example, if you are working and you're raising a family, but you've got to care for an elderly relative? Um, what choice do you have other than to give up your job if they need full time care? I mean, presumably you can think about putting them into a care home, but that's expensive.
7: Yeah, so there there is some support from local authorities who are responsible for providing social care services. So it's good to, to approach them and see what the person you look after might be entitled to. But as we've seen over the last kind of ten to twenty years, really that care has been heavily rationed and lots of people are having to kind of pick up the financial cost or the practical costs by picking up the care themselves. So we'd really like to see the government recognise that social care services are essential Mm. for um they're almost like an infrastructure that we need to allow us to work and that needs to be taken seriously when we're looking at social care funding
4: well it seems like a a problem that's that's not if not only not going away getting much much worse isn't it we've heard the government talking about re, reforming um uh, in some ways, sort of community hospitals perhaps and moving elderly people out of um, um, mainline hospitals where they're occupying a lot of beds that are needed for other people but they can't be moved into social care because there isn't any you know it's a massive uh, it's a massive problem at the moment
7: you're right there's definitely a push towards more care in the community but the social care funding crisis, really, that we've had over the last 10, 20 years has not been addressed. We've seen sort of government after government duck these difficult questions. And it's really time that um, the government brings forward some proposals to put some sustainable funding behind social
4: care mm, exactly right and so um how about this what do you think from stretch who's uh, tweeted this in he said i'd change the minimum wage for care workers and mike because the care home owners charge a fortune uh, and the greedy people are getting very rich i mean that is also a problem isn't it that the commercialization of private care homes is making an awful lot of people rich and and costing a fortune to a lot of ordinary families
7: I think there's lots of issues with the way the care sector is operating. Um, I think lots of providers are actually struggling because local authorities have reduced the amount they will pay for care places. So um, I think care providers, people, professional care workers who are often on very low wages and unpaid carers are all looking for some sustainable solutions from the government and mm.
4: they can't be ducked for any longer. No, quite. Chloe, thank you very much indeed. Chloe Wright there, Policy and Public Affairs Manager at Carers UK. Uh, there must be loads of you out there who are listening to this show right now who are probably in some way, shape or form caring for somebody else. Whether it be an elderly relative, whether it be a parent, uh, whether it be a sick child. You know, the system clearly isn't working very well, but I'd very much welcome uh, your thoughts. I'd very like, very much like to hear from you because this is the radio station that likes to hear from listeners uh, who have got interesting information and interesting stories to tell. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. We'll take loads of your calls coming up next.
3: Across the UK, online and on DAB.
4: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. <laughs> This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 a is the uh, number to call. Uh, you can text, of course, at 87222. Uh, text costs you 25p plus your normal network rate. And you can tweet us at Talk Radio and at IROMG. I'm going to talk to some people now who are involved uh, in caring for others because it is really, for me, one of the more forgotten jobs that people do in this country. To very little adulation, to very little praise. And it's a not uh, easy thing to be doing. Let's talk to Marion, uh, who's Calling from Rotherham. Hello, Marion. Good morning, Mike. Morning. Hello. Thanks for calling, Marion. What would you like to say?
8: Oh, I'm so exhausted.
4: <laughs> I bet. I'm
8: so exhausted and... I used to hear carers bleating on about how difficult it was, and I used to think, oh, they do all day is drink cups of tea and sit there with somebody, and it's just not like that at all.
3: No, I (laughs) bet. I mean, (laughs) it must be. I
4: mean, I'm in absolute awe of people like you, Marion, who do what you do because it's so difficult and you have to make so many sacrifices that you must hardly have any time for yourself.
8: I don't really have much time for myself at all, no. And constantly, if I'm not in the house with my brother, I'm constantly worrying about him, I'm worrying who's knocking on the door, yeah. I'm worrying if he's falling over.
4: Right. You know. And did you have to give up work to do what you're doing?
8: Yeah. Yeah I did. I, I, I did give up work. It wasn't a hugely well paid job but it was full time with overtime so I had a decent standard of living. Right. And, and these days these days if something wears out like a bra even, I I, I find it a struggle to
4: to stretch the budget yes. by the basics. And what about the social services? Do they have any sort of input at all? I mean, what what can you get from them?
8: I feel like they're too busy ticking boxes and filling out forms and asking invasive questions, and they don't seem to understand. They don't seem to listen. Um, and, of course... Carers like myself, I'm sure the people will say, they see somebody being cared for by a family member, and while you're there, you're put upon constantly. Mm, oh, yeah. you'll do this, you'll do this. And you are forgotten, you are most definitely forgotten.
6: Yeah.
8: I mean, I know nobody owes us a living. It's just that when it is an absolutely impossible, I mean the government are on my back to go and get a job as well as look after my brother. Yeah. And I don't I only have twenty four hours in a day, and I am so sleep deprived because of having to do things and people don't realise just sure. how much is involved in this.
4: What sort of day do you have, Marion? Could you sort of describe your day? Like when it starts, when it finishes?
8: Um, well, It's, it's, he's got, my brother has, um, he had a stroke 15 years ago, quite simply, because he had unchecked blood pressure. He worked full time, he used to go around delivering televisions to people, and and, and he had a social life and lots of friends, and then one day, a a bleed in his brain caused him to be long-term disabled, Mm. so... um, He can just about shuffle around his house, and he tries to be independent, Mm. but he cannot cook for himself, he can't do his own shopping, laundry, all these things. And it's extra hard. I mean, I know there's people with families and children, and they have jobs, and they must wonder why we think it's so difficult. But the hardest thing is when, at the moment, we have to have nurses coming in in the morning to administer antibiotics. Right because he's developed an infection, because he's developed, through lack of mobility, diabetes, right. even though I've tried to keep his diet sensible. So, with him not being active and mobile, his metabolism has caused him to have this diabetes, and then he's developed foot ulcers. My goodness. So um, so he's, he's currently being treated with strong antibiotics. So the nurses all come in, in the morning, every day, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, most of them are very good. But some of them let the others down by coming in, administering the meds, not changing his dressings on his feet. Mm. And then when I'm chasing them up, I get mouthed at. I actually get nurses saying, oh, we haven't got enough staff. We haven't got enough staff. And all I think is, my brother's going to lose his feet because of... Because of this, because yeah. of budget, and that adds to the aggravation of the situation. Oh, of
4: course. And what would well, make that's... it easier for you as, a, as an individual, just as, as, as a sister caring for a brother? I mean, obviously there's money which would, would, would be helpful, but I mean, what else would be helpful?
8: It would just be helpful if everybody involved in my brother's care, from the podiatrist who caused one of the injuries to one of his feet, if every single person did the job that they are actually paid to do and did not have the stress from and pass the stress on, if they didn't pass their stress on to us as well. Because they come in and uh, they seem to have the impression that we're just sitting, watching telly, drinking tea all day. And, like, the house has got a bit grubby. And it's just because you run out of time in a day just through chasing up people. So, for me, it's just proper support. Proper support, not tick-box support, not pretend support, not this social services rubbish where they tell us we've got no money in the budget and and they go, oh, well, you don't need this and you don't need that, you've got your sister. You know, poor man stuck in house, he's only 61 years old, he's not old. And I started doing this, sorry, violin's out, when I was 40. Wow. You know, I I was living with a man who was a useless pig, as it happened, but I left him because I thought, ooh, you can replace a boyfriend, a bad boyfriend, but you can't replace your brother. No, exactly. You know.
4: I bet you haven't had time to replace the boyfriend, though, have you?
8: No. not. At all. I mean, I've had, I have had a couple of people ask me out, and I just I think, oh, no, I've got too much on. Yeah. You know.
4: I know. I bet you haven't had a holiday recently, either, have
8: you? No, no, no. Don't get time off.
4: It's amazing. Listen, Marion, I really wish you all the best. Thank you so much for telling us your story, because it's very, very uh, untypical, I would say, of almost everybody else's life who does not care for someone. You can't really understand what it's like. Let's talk to Lorraine, who's in Chelmsford. Hello, Lorraine. Hello there, Mike. Hi, thanks for calling, Lorraine. What's, what's your story?
3: Oh, well, my dad's um, 86. He has, he has dementia, and his mobility is very bad. He's twenty four seven. He can't be left on his own mm. because of the dementia yeah. and because he's high risk of falling. Um, so my sister, I had to give up work. I, I cut it down first, so just a couple of days. But to be honest with you, it it was. I was so exhausted yes. after. I I I'm sure. And how
4: were they understanding at all at work about what you were doing?
3: I just, ha- I just. Well, they were. But the thing is, if you're tired, ty- and actually, I was a carer in the community. Um so, I was caring as a job and as 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 um for my father, but my sister and i we have him half a week each, so we share it three and, right. and a half days each
4: so, and is that in his you know, in his place, or does he come to you
3: well because um because he's got dementia um he literally doesn't know where the toilet is right If we we do, we do bring him to our houses um to get out you know change the scenery, but he doesn't know where the toilet is so mm. Every time he gets up, he would literally go to the toilet in my cupboard. He would open any door and just go. Yeah. Um, so you have to literally take him to the toilet.
4: Yeah.
3: And also, he could fall. Right. So it's, he, he sleeps at his own house.
4: So, so he's able to spend to... the night on his own?
3: No, you can't leave him. No, OK. You
4: couldn't,
3: you couldn't leave him. He's, 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 literally, is 24-7. You can't If you were to go out of the room, you don't know what he so doing. So you probably
4: can't even properly go to sleep, can you? Because you're worried no, he's going to get can't. up.
3: Sleep with one eye open.
4: Wow. It's so an incredible. I mean it's an incredible thing that you're
3: a, sorry? I was just saying it's an incredible
4: thing that you're doing. It's such a sacrifice.
3: Well, it is because I have a family. I still have my home, own home.
4: Yeah.
3: And I have um I have a family as well. And my family's life really, my whole life, my social life and my family's life evolves around my father and likewise to my sister. Yeah.
4: And do they're they... I know parents. this is going to... This is not meant to sound like an awkward question, but do they resent that sometimes, that you have to spend so much time with him?
3: Um, well, if if they... Occasionally, you'll get a look. Yeah. You know, um, but I'm very fortunate that my husband's very good, but yeah. you do you do get a look. You, you know, you you do get the look. And I don't want to put my father on them, if you know what I'm no, saying. No, of course. But it's a very... They're only young, and they, but, should, um, they should be... Enjoying themselves and not worrying about it. But of course, but I mean, you're you do also you have a guilt thing. You have a guilt thing for your family, and you have a guilt thing for your father. Mm. And of course, you know happy. it's a
4: thankless task you're doing, Lorraine, isn't it? Really, because oh. you're you're not winning anything here.
3: Um, well, at the end of the day, um, our, my priority and my sister's priority. I mean, we get him out of bed. Yeah. We we wash him. We right. dress him. We shave him. Everything. Um, we my my thing is that we. Well, He's always clean, obviously. Um, He's shaved. We put cream on him, so his, his skin's all moisturised. Mm. We make him look nice, yeah. and we keep him happy.
4: It's a great thing and you're that... doing. It's a great thing. It's. I. I don't think. I don't know if I could do it. To be honest, you know, I'm. I'm just not sure I could.
3: Well, when he goes, when he goes, I had a wonderful mother and father. My dad worked seven days a week for us. He bought, you know, he bought us up, and um, we could have put him into a care home, and we actually looked. But because he's got dementia, it would have meant that he was, would have been partnered on a, on a first floor and be surrounded with other people's dementia. Um, he wouldn't have got the one-to-one, because there's obviously too many of them. Mm. He wouldn't have been able to find himself to the toilet or anything.
6: Yeah.
3: And um, so he, he would have been portrayed, and he would have felt betrayed and actually rejected. And I just couldn't have that. I couldn't have looked at my no. father in the face.
4: No, of course. Well, Lorraine, it's people like you that, that keep this country going, actually, because, as I say, without you, I don't know what it would be like for for people like your dad. But thank you so much for calling in and talking to us, Lorraine in Chelmsford. I mean, some of these people literally are saints. They really are. I can't imagine how hard a job it is to do that kind of thing. I mean, I sit here and talk rubbish for three hours. Well... It's not rubbish most of the time, hopefully, but you know what I mean? It really is, uh, puts life into perspective. A mid-morning
5: dance with the devil. The Independent
3: Republic of Mike Graham.
4: On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 But don't be like Khalid. Uh, don't call me up and start accusing people of being Satanists just because they haven't got kids. OK, uh, Lionheart says, mates, Khaled now overtakes cryogenics man for entertaining MG interviews. Uh, the cryogenics man, of course, was the guy who kept saying it's not a business. <laughs> and I kept telling him it was. Remember the guy that said that he would freeze my head for thirty thousand uh, dollars, but he wasn't making any money out of it because it was all being used uh, to keep my head frozen. Uh, and he was absolutely adamant that it was a charitable business uh, that they were running. Let's talk now, though, to Paul Mitchell, who's a retail expert, because I tell you what, uh, one of the most annoying things in the world, I think for anyone, uh, particularly any husband or a spouse of any kind, uh, go, is going to Ikea and wandering about. You can only go in one direction. You're not allowed to walk in the other direction, of course, because uh, it's like something out of Midnight Express and you walk in the wrong direction and you're going to hell. But basically, Ikea uh, are now saying uh, you can rent their furniture out, flat pack you can hand back. The only problem with that, of course, is that you have to erect it first, then presumably you have to unerect it when you give it back. Let's find out what uh, it's all about from Paul. Hello, Paul. Hi, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Now, it's hard enough putting IKEA furniture up, it's actually even harder to take it down.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think whether this will take off and whether the pilot schemes will be rolled out is, is another matter. But I think what all this boils down to is IKEA and sustainability yeah because what you've got to realize is that ikea consumes one percent of the world's wood supply is that right uh, which in itself is quite an incredible statistic yeah and it's a it's a business that relies on low cost high volume and encourages mass consumption mm. and yeah. You know, as we move forward you know key buzzwords at the moment are about sustainability and you know ikea is working towards sourcing, you know renewable recyclable sustainable materials yeah but i'm not sure whether this has legs um so to speak you know because <laughs> you know if you know do you know are you going to want to rent a kitchen uh, with a view to handing it back you know these models have been tried out and are quite successful in in in, in likes of women's fashion because you know a lot of ladies you know will only wear a dress once so you've seen these models spring up where you know designer dresses that cost 1500 pounds brand new can be hired for 100 pounds at a time sure that works that works but you know, do you buy a kitchen with a view to you're going to change it every two or three years? Yeah. Or, I mean, or, the other thing about
4: IKEA furniture, you know, I've, I've, I've used IKEA over the years many, many times or you're in different pieces of furniture, different houses, bunk beds for the kids and all of that. I mean, it doesn't wear brilliantly. You know what I mean? What I find about IKEA furniture is if you move it from one house to another, it tends to fall apart.
1: It's great. You know, what IKEA is, is it's great furniture for the masses yeah. at an affordable cost. Yeah. You know, we almost seem to be going back to the days, and I, I remember when I was, while I was a boy, my parents and probably every parent, you know, on the same street rented a TV. Yes. Because back then, TVs TVs were fairly novel. They mm. were very expensive. Right. Um, but we've now moved forward where you can buy a 42-inch television for probably £299. Yeah. People don't do that. You know, I, I just, I, I think this is part of a strategy by ikea to appear to be sustainable in a business model that doesn't look sustainable Mm. um uh, whether whether it all appeals another matter because what it all boils down to mike the long and short of it will be cost because you know you can buy a kitchen these days cheaper than you've ever been able to Mm. buy in the past you can get zero percent you know finance on that kitchen you know so what will be the cost for effectively hiring it?
4: And also, presumably, even though we are living in a more kind of rental-friendly world, because a lot of people now just rent their cars, you know, lease them rather than buying them. Um, A lot of people rent their property because they can't afford to buy them. Um, My problem would be who's going to then rent the next uh, kitchen? I mean, for example, if I rent the kitchen for two years and then decide to give it back, who then is going to want it?
1: well I, th- I think i think that i think that's a question because you you know when you look at ikea furniture you know what you know they they're talking about recycling and you know and uh, restoring the furniture you know at the end of the rental but you know really what's its value and yeah. desirability 2
4: or 3 years on mm. yeah because I'm, i can i can tell you that once my kids have had a bed for 5 years you know, you, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to want it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and it, you know, and it probably at that juncture, you know, it's got a zero value. So, you know, if you're still paying rental costs and you don't own it at the end, you know, will it have been cheaper for you to have bought it out right at the beginning?
4: Yeah, right. Exactly. But I mean, you know, there is definitely a move towards, you know, when you look at European models of of property uh, and how many more people rent there in the same as uh, in parts of America, certainly in Manhattan, a lot of people renting rather than buying because the price of buying is so prodigiously expensive. And London's going to be the same, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, if, if you're if you're if you're not going to buy a house and you're stuck in long-term renting, renting, sorry, then it might have an appeal to you. But it depends on the the length of the term because you know, you know, you could contractually be obliged to you know have this kitchen for three four years, but right. you know. You, 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 you might not be contractually, you know, um, found in that house for that length of period. But so I suppose the devil will be in the detail. It'll all be down to price, but I think it's a drive by IKEA to, to appear more sustainable. Yeah,
4: as long as they don't start renting out their meatballs, I'll be fine with that. <laughs> Which is the only good reason for going there, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, it'll be fascinating because I mean, I know I've, I've known people in the past who like, you know, you know what I mean when I say who like to revamp and sort of refurbish the house every so often. And you go, well, Why do we need new furniture? The furniture we've got is fine. And then she goes, yeah, well, I just want it to look a bit different. And you could maybe have a rental scheme that allows you to, to, you know, get furniture every couple of of years and just reshoot it, you know?
1: Yeah, but I I think we already do that to a certain extent Mm. with kitchens because, you know, a lot of the casings that you buy now for kitchens, you know, you can simply, you know, change the doors, et cetera, yeah. and, and upcycle them. So, you know, the, the question is, is uh, with such a big purchase like that, yes, you change the colour of your walls, you know, regularly, or the carpet, but, you know, do you really change your, your, your kitchen that often? It's yeah. an investment in, in,
4: in your house. No, sure, absolutely. Fascinating. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Paul Mitchell, retail expert, uh, with his view on the story that the uh, IKEA people are now saying, uh, never mind buying a kitchen, why don't you just rent one? Well, it's all very well for them to say that, but I don't know if it's going to work. We shall see. the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk radio coming up richard Maidley at one o'clock with kevin o'sullivan he's in for matthew Wright all week of course uh, we've got loads of calls today so we better get right to it uh, let's speak to khalid uh, who is in nottingham hello khalid oh you're all right mate yeah very well what do you want to tell us
9: oh i just want to tell you about uh the pedophiles uh the pedophile hunters and that i yeah. think they do a grand job mate mm. if they didn't do it the police weren't going to do it
4: well, I mean, I don't know whether the police... I mean, if the police are officially unhappy about this, but unofficially happy, do you know what I mean? Because the West Yorkshire no, police are know, saying it, they don't want them doing it.
9: Yeah, but, you know, once it gets to a high level and that, and if you're rich and or you've got money and that, it gets quashed.
4: Well, you, you say that, that, but I think but that's, a, know, bit a, no level, I think that's a bit of a conspiracy... I think that's a no, bit of a conspiracy theory, Kelly, to be honest.
9: Oh, mate, come off it, mate. It's, there is... There's, if you, if you go on YouTube, mate, there's loads of proof and everything. Even in Nottingham, they've had that, uh, they've had that beach house or something, and there was all paedophiles in there. And even, uh, like you're saying, Brexit. Do you know who originally signed us on to Brexit? It what do you mean? A guy called Ted Heath.
4: Well, Ted Heath used to be the Prime Minister Ted of this Heath. country. Prime Minister of yes, this country, uh, who had all sorts of allegations made against him, all of which proved to be rubbish.
9: No, they haven't, mate. Yes, they the have. the German intelligence
4: service... Oh, come on. It. Oh, what? You've got, inter- you got friends in German intelligence, Kelly? What's that? Have you got friends in German intelligence?
9: No, I have got... Uh, a don't just look German at somebody on
4: the on the, on YouTube and but, think yeah, it's true, Kelly.
9: No, no, mate. But I, he was a Satanist. He never got married. A Satanist. If you have a look at half of these <laughs> leaders, half of these come leaders off it. in Europe.
4: Kelly. get a yeah. life, mate. Listen, that's rubbish, OK? It's all rubbish. Next thing you're gonna no accuse right, me of being right, part then. of the cabal, right?
9: No, 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 no. I'm not accusing you, mate. You're just an independent guy.
4: I am an independent you know I mean? guy, it's true. I'm just saying, I saying, all right, but, but I'm if also got
9: most of these European leaders. Yeah. Theresa May haven't got no
4: kids. They're all Satanists, the right? They're all Satanists. Come on. But they're not
9: Satanists, mate. Trina's a Theresa May, ain't she ain't got a kid. Right, half of the European leaders haven't got. Why kids. is it you guys always so, come up with the same? Why, why is it? Hey, why, why do you always spout the same they... stuff,
4: Khalid? Are you all watching the same t- YouTube channel? No, it's, mate, it's out
9: there, mate. It's out there. The yeah, but what say, is what is, is, out, there? What is the out there? What
4: is the only thing out there, Khalid? Is you? mate? Mate, if, if you look at, um, what are you LDP telling LDP me? What proof LDP have you LDP got, Khalid? You're telling me. You're telling me that people that don't have children are paedophiles and satanists. Is that what you're telling me?
9: No, no, I'm not saying they're paedophiles, mate. What are you saying, I'm then? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... I'm not even talking about Theresa May. Well, you just mentioned her name. I'm just saying... I mentioned her name to say these people ain't not got kids. Why are they running our country?
4: Well, what's that got to do with there's
9: it? no future, they, You know why? What because is that got to do future. with it? They ain't not got no kids, so well, think well, How is, how is I
4: having think. children a qualification for running the country? Mate, there's mate. a big qualification. Why? Even
9: though Tony Blair, he wasn't... Tony Blair had children Yeah Tony Blair had
4: children That's what I mean Well what do you mean that's what you mean But if you look at some of these That's not what you you mean That's the complete opposite of what you mean what? You just said they don't have children, they shouldn't be running the country. Tony Blair did have children, yeah, but, Tony Blair, but you don't yeah, think he, he should was, have been running the country either. He was qualified
9: to run the country. Hey, He was qualified to run the country. What, because he, he had was a kids? He in European Union. He had got no kids. If you have a look, how many of not He doesn't run any countries,
4: country, though. Country. He doesn't run a country, Khalid. He, run, he runs a whole of European Union. No, he doesn't. He's a European commissioner.
9: Mate, the first Mate. time I ever voted in this country... Yeah. ...was to Brexit. Was it... Because this country is becoming a right cesspit.
4: Right. Well, why do you Even think it's going it, to not be? How do you think? Moment, well, hang on. How do you think it's going to not be a cesspit if it's out of Europe?
9: Mate, at least we're making our own rules, and that we're not part of a big. No, but if it's, a it's, a, no, but the reason, Khalid.
4: Khalid, let me ask you a question. If the country is a cesspit, who's responsible for making the country a cesspit?
9: Yeah, Tony Blair for one for well, just a... all these immigrants in. And so that. Tony Blair, who was running
4: the country and who was qualified to run the country, ran it badly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he had children.
9: He ran it, but yeah, he ran it badly. Do you know why? Why? Because it was it was to uh, lower the living standards of the British people. That's why he let all this immigration in. What all it is doing is uh, draining our resources. <laughs> now we're now. There's no uh, health care for the pensioners. That's Think not true. Somebody else on, I'm telling you. Somebody that's else not true. On and agree with you. Somebody from the streets. That's not true, Kelly. You
4: Kelly, know I mean? that's not it true. Is.
9: Mate, do you know, since we Mate. give all the bankers, we give all the bankers them trillions, what they gambled with our money. Yeah. Yeah. And since that day, you know, all the chemicals in the food and everything, they've times it might take. So how many people are dying since we've uh, given all the Khaled, money? Khalid, are you, are you wearing a tinfoil hat, know, mate? Mate, How many mate.
4: people have died around them? Mate, uh, mate. Right. Khalid, yeah. listen to me, all right? Forget about YouTube, right? Listen to this show. You will learn I'm everything. Not
9: look, I'm not even about YouTube, you... mate. I'm talking about my own personal experience with my mum, who's who's an old-age pensioner. We have to look after her and that. And the way I've what, are you so saying the, the NHS doesn't, doesn't look know. after your mum? You do, they do look after your mum, but you have to be there yourself.
4: Well, you just told me they you don't look after old myself? people.
9: No you know, you have to be there yourself because they ain't not got enough people to look after each individual person.
4: Alright, okay. You understand. Well, what you should so do, the- Khalid, right, is take a deep breath, call me back and talk to me about that because I'd rather talk to you about something you know about than all this nonsense about people running countries who don't have children that you don't know about and <laughs> accusing former Prime Ministers of this country of terrible crimes which they did not commit, okay? So call me back again, talk to me about care for your mother in the NHS and we'll have a proper conversation.
3: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent